Book One, Sections Nine to Fourteen of Against Appian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Against Appian by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book One, Sections Nine to Fourteen. Section Nine. As for myself, I have composed a true history of that whole war, and of all the particulars that occurred therein, as having been concerned in all its transactions. For I acted as general of those among us that are named Galileans, as long as it was possible for us to make any opposition. I was then seized on by the Romans, and became a captive. Vespasian also, and Titus, had me kept under a guard, and forced me to attend them continually. At the first I was put into bonds, but was set at liberty afterward, and sent to accompany Titus when he came from Alexandria to the siege of Jerusalem, during which time there was nothing done which escaped my knowledge. For what happened in the Roman camp I saw, and wrote down carefully, and what informations the deserters brought, out of the city, I was the only man that understood them, Afterward I got leisure at Rome, and when all my materials were prepared for that work, I made use of some persons to assist me in learning the Greek tongue, and by these means I composed the history of those transactions. And I was so well assured of the truth of what I related, that I first of all appealed to those that had the supreme command of the war, Vespasian and Titus, as witnesses for me, for to them I presented those books first of all, and after them to many of the Romans who had been in the war. I also sold them to many of our own men who understood the Greek philosophy, among whom were Julius Archelius, Herod, king of Chalcis, a person of great gravity, and King Agrippa himself, a person that deserved the greatest admiration. Now all these men bore their testimony to me, that I had the strictest regard to truth. Who yet would not have dissembled the matter, nor been silent, if I, out of ignorance, or out of favor to any side, either had given false colors to actions, or omitted any of them? Section 10 There have indeed been some bad men, who have attempted to culminate my history, and took it to be a kind of scholastic performance for the exercise of young men, a strange sort of accusation and calumny this, since every one that undertakes to deliver the history of actions truly ought to know them accurately himself in the first place, as either having been concerned in them himself, or having been informed of them by such as knew them. Now both these methods of knowledge I may very properly pretend to in the composition of both my works, for, as I said, I have translated the antiquities out of our sacred books, which I could easily do, since I was a priest by my birth, and have studied that philosophy which is contained in those writings. And for the history of the war, I wrote it as having been an actor myself in many of its transactions, an eyewitness in the greatest part of the rest, and was not unacquainted with anything whatsoever that was either said or done in it. How impudent, then, must those deserve to be esteemed that undertake to contradict me about the true state of those affairs, who, although they pretend to have made use of both the emperor's own memoirs, 
yet could not they he acquainted with our affairs who fought against them? Section 11 This digression I have been obliged to make out of necessity, as being desirous to expose the vanity of those that profess to write histories, and I suppose I have sufficiently declared that this custom of transmitting down the histories of ancient times hath been better preserved by those nations which are called barbarians than by the Greeks themselves. I am now willing, in the next place, to say a few things to those that endeavor to prove that our Constitution is but of late time, for this reason, as they pretend, that the Greek writers have said nothing about us, after which I shall produce testimonies for our antiquity out of the writings of foreigners. I shall also demonstrate that such as cast reproaches upon our nation do it very unjustly. Section 12. As for ourselves, therefore, we neither inhabit a maritime country, nor do we delight in merchandise, nor in such a mixture with other men as arises from it. But the cities we dwell in are remote from the sea, and having a fruitful country for our habitation, we take pains in cultivating that only. Our principal care of all is this, to educate our children well, and we think it to be the most necessary business of our whole life to observe the laws that have been given us, and to keep those rules of piety that have been delivered down to us. Since, therefore, besides what we have already taken notice of, we have a peculiar way of living of our own, there was no occasion offered us in ancient ages for intermixing among the Greeks, as they had for mixing among the Egyptians, by their intercourse of exporting and importing their several goods as they also mixed with the Phoenicians, who lived by the seaside, by means of their love of lucre in trade and merchandise. Nor did our forefathers betake themselves, as did some others, to robbery. Nor did they, in order to gain more wealth, fall into foreign wars, although our country contained many ten thousands of men of courage sufficient for that purpose. For this reason it was that the Phoenicians themselves came soon by trading and navigation to be known to the Grecians, and by their means the Egyptians became known to the Grecians also, as did all those people whence the Phoenicians in long voyages over the sea carried wares to the Grecians. The Medes also, and the Persians, when they were lords of Asia, became known to them, and this was especially true of the Persians, who led their armies as far as the other continent, Europe. The Thracians were also known to them by the nearness of their countries, and the Scythians by the means of those that sailed to Pontus, for it was so, in general, that all maritime nations, and those that inhabited near the eastern or western seas, became most known to those that were desirous to be writers. But such as had their habitations further from the sea, were for the most part unknown to them, which things appear to have happened as to Europe also, where the city of Rome, that hath this long time been possessed of so much power, and hath performed such great actions in war, is yet never mentioned by Herodotus, nor by Thucydides, nor by any of their contemporaries. And it was very late, and with great difficulty, that the Romans became known to the Greeks, Nay, those that were reckoned the most exact historians, and Euphorus for one, were so very ignorant of the Gauls and the Spaniards, that he supposed the Spaniards, 
who inhabit so great a part of the western regions of the earth, to be no more than one city. Those histories also have ventured to describe such customs as were made use of by them, which they never had either done or said, and the reason why these writers did not know the truth of their affairs was this, that they had not any commerce together. But the reason why they wrote such falsities was this, that they had a mind to appear to know things which others had not known. How can it then be any wonder if our nation was no more known to many of the Greeks, nor had given them any occasion to mention them in their writings, while they were so remote from the sea, and had a conduct of life so peculiar to themselves? Section 13. Let us now put the case, therefore, that we made use of this argument concerning the Grecians, in order to prove that their nation was not ancient, because nothing is said of them in our records. Would not they laugh at us, and probably give the same reasons for our silence that I have now alleged, and would produce their neighbor nations as witnesses to their own antiquity? Now the very same thing will I endeavor to do, for I will bring the Egyptians and the Phoenicians as my principal witnesses, because nobody can complain of their testimony as false, on account that they are known to have borne the greatest ill-will towards us. I mean this as to the Egyptians in general, all of them. While of the Phoenicians it is known, the Tyrians have been most of all in the same ill disposition towards us. Yet do I confess that I cannot say the same of the Chaldeans, since our first leaders and ancestors were derived from them, and they do not make mention of us Jews in their records, on account of the kindred there is between us. Now when I shall have made my assertions good, so far as concerns the others, I will demonstrate that some of the Greek writers have made mention of us Jews also, that those who envy us may not have even this pretense for contradicting what I have said about our nation. Section 14. I shall begin with the writings of the Egyptians, not indeed of those who have written in the Egyptian language, which it is impossible for me to do. But Manetho was a man who was born an Egyptian, yet he made himself master of the Greek learning, as is very evident, for he wrote the history of his own country in the Greek tongue, by translating it, as he saith himself, out of their sacred records. He also finds great fault with Herodotus for his ignorance and false relations of Egyptian affairs. Now this Mantheo, in the second book of his Egyptian history, writes concerning us in the following manner. I will set down his very words, as if I were to bring the man himself into a court for a witness. There was a king of ours whose name was Timaeus. Under him it came to pass, I know not how, that God was adverse to us, and there came, after a surprising manner, men of ignoble birth out of the eastern parts, and had boldness enough to make an expedition into our country, and with ease subdued it by force, yet without our hazarding a battle with them. So when they had gotten those that governed us under their power, they afterward burnt down our cities, demolished the temples of the gods, and used all the inhabitants after a most barbarous manner. Nay, some they slew, and led their children and wives into slavery. At length, they made one of themselves king, whose name was Silatus. He also lived at Memphis, and made both the upper and lower regions pay tribute, and left garrisons in places that were the most proper for them. 
he chiefly aimed to secure the eastern parts, as foreseeing that the Assyrians, who had then the greatest power, would be desirous of that kingdom and invade them, and as he found in the Satanomus, Sethrorite, a city very proper for this purpose, and which lay upon the Bobastic Channel, but with regard to a certain theological notion was called Avarice, this he rebuilt, and made very strong by the walls he built about it, and by a most numerous garrison of two hundred and forty thousand armed men, whom he put into it to keep it. Thither Salatus came in summer-time, partly to gather his corn, and pay his soldiers their wages, and partly to exercise his armed men, and thereby to terrify foreigners. When this man had reigned thirteen years, after him reigned another, whose name was Beon, for forty-four years. After him reigned another, called Apachnus, thirty-six years and seven months. After him Aprophus reigned sixty-one years, and then Janus fifty years and one month. After all these reigned Assus, forty-nine years and two months. And these six were the first rulers among them, who were all along making war with the Egyptians, and were very desirous gradually to destroy them to the very roots. This whole nation was styled Hyksos, that is, shepherd kings, for the first syllable, Hyk, according to the sacred dialect, denotes a king, as is Sos, a shepherd. But this according to the ordinary dialect, and of these is compounded Hyksos, but some say that these people were Arabians. Now, in another copy, it is said that this word does not denote kings, but on the contrary denotes captive shepherds, and this on account of the particle hike, for that hike, with the aspiration, in the Egyptian tongue, again denotes shepherds, and that expressly also. And this to me seems the more probable opinion, and more agreeable to ancient history. But Manetheo goes on. These people, whom we have before named kings, and called shepherds also, and all their descendants, as he says, kept possession of Egypt five hundred and eleven years. After these, he says, that the kings of Thebius and the other parts of Egypt made an insurrection against the shepherds, and that there a terrible and long war was made between them. He says further, that under a king, whose name was Alice Frogmuthosis, the shepherds were subdued by him, and were indeed driven out of other parts of Egypt, but were shut up in a place that contained ten thousand acres. This place was named Avarice. Mentheo says, that the shepherds built a wall round all this place, which was a large and a strong wall, and this in order to keep all their possessions and their prey within a place of strength. But that Thumosis, the son of Elisphragmuthosis, made an attempt to take them by force and by siege, with four hundred and eighty thousand men to lie rotown them. But that, upon his despair of taking the place by that siege, they came to a composition with them, that they should leave Egypt and go, without any harm to be done to them, whithersoever they would, and that, after this composition was made, they went away with their whole families and effects, not fewer in number than two hundred and forty thousand, and took their journey from Egypt, through the wilderness, for Syria. But that, as they were in fear of the Assyrians, who then had dominion over Asia, 
they built a city in that country which is now called Judea, and that large enough to contain this great number of men, and called it Jerusalem. Now Manetho, in another book of his, says, that this nation, thus called shepherds, were also called captives in their sacred books, and this account of his is the truth, for feeding of sheep was the employment of our forefathers in the most ancient ages, and as they led such a wandering life in feeding sheep, they were called shepherds. Nor was it without reason that they were called captives by the Egyptians, since one of our ancestors, Joseph, told the king of Egypt that he was a captive, and afterward sent for his brethren into Egypt by the king's permission. But as for these matters, I shall make a more exact inquiry about them elsewhere. End of sections 9 to 14